you know, brands come up with a campaign and then they come up with a creative and then they have, it's almost like it's already laid out and then they hand it over to a PR agency and say, okay, PR this. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. While some in advertising may think of public relations as what you do to support their advertising campaign, the truth is more organisations are looking to public relations as an effective way to not just communicate, but influence a wide range of important audiences from consumers and customers to shareholders and regulators and more. Particularly as today, most organisations find themselves needing to communicate an increasingly complex range of issues, including diversity, equity and inclusion, gender equality, environmental sustainability, and the list goes on. This is where public relations comes into its own. Today, I'm sitting down with someone who understands this better than most. Please welcome to Managing Marketing, the Chief Executive Officer of Public Relations Group, Heard MSL, and Sustainability Consultancy, Salter Baxter, Sky Lambie. Welcome, Sky. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Excited to be here. Let's start with Salter Baxter, because it's a personal thing for me about how business is going to address a sustainable, environmentally sustainable world. Because I find that globally there are parts of the world like Europe where we do business where there's a lot more action happening compared to the Australian market. What was the motivation behind Salter Baxter? We were seeing the a couple of things actually were driving that, I think. We were seeing that... Um, consumers' expectations of what they were wanting in terms of products, services, but also brand and how that brands and how they were behaving were were changing. Um, and then I think everyone is being flooded with particular messages and there were being some scepticism around that, some, some I suppose, sustainability fatigue, if you like. Um, and then also some backlash we've seen, obviously, ACCC um, also having a point of view on that too with things and cr- the, cr- the clamping down on, on greenwashing. So I think there was a whole lot of things that thought that there was a real need to authentically support businesses in their sustainability journey. But what I didn't want to do and I could see around me was lots of brands, particularly comms agencies or marketing agencies, jumping into sustainability as a new profit centre, which kind of is a bit ironic given the whole <laughs> um you know, the, thinking sustainability more broadly of not just environment but economic and social. You mentioned diversity and inclusion in the intro too. Um, so sustainability we look at as a real broader view on how do you be sustainable in business and then create a sustainable planet. Um, what I didn't want to do was to put lipstick on a pig yeah. and do what I had observed others in the market doing, which was, oh, you know, we can slap a sustainable messaging Um, on a particular campaign or a sustainable slant on a product offering when really it wasn't authentic. And so we were going to create something from scratch here in Australia and then um, what we observed that in the UK, and as you mentioned, the UK and Europe are way ahead of um, Australia, New Zealand and Europe, uh, sorry, Asia I should say, 
uh, in terms of regulation and, and mm. um, the speed in which they have, I suppose, jumped on making sure their business is more sustainable. Um, and there, what I discovered was that there was a business within the publicist group in the UK that they acquired about six, seven years ago, that, but had actually been in business for 25 years focused on sustainability wow. consultancy. And that was before sustainability was cool. Right? <laughs> so, um, and what was super cool about it was it was this combination of real sustainability consultancy and credibility. So if you think about probably what a lot of the big consultancies do, you know, deep thought around and expertise around the whole multifaceted um, disciplines within sustainability. But then also what they coupled that with, which is what the the big four consultancies aren't doing necessarily, and even some of the more sustainable uh, sustainability specific consultancies locally, is they're not coupling that with creativity. So right. we would argue with... Um, Without what what we are talking to clients about is how do you get that great intersection between strong, credible consultancy when it comes to sustainability with amazing creativity? Because mm. if you don't have both of those things, you won't drive the progress that we need both at a business level um, and then also obviously at a bigger, you know, really um, ambitious level of, you know, saving the planet, I suppose. Uh, so that's kind of yeah, where Salt of Extra came about and we've had a lot of conversations, a lot of interest in talking to businesses uh, at different, you know, parts uh, in terms of their journey on sustainability. It's interesting because, you know, I think what's happened in Australia is that suddenly businesses are going, oh, there's an expectation that we've got to do something without a lot of thought about, well, what does that actually mean? And I think the mistake, the wrong footing that we've seen is people trying to put Band-Aids on yeah. what is a much bigger transformation process. But a lot of this is being driven by something that you mentioned earlier, which is that consumers now have a very different expectation of commercial enterprises than they had you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think that there's some really interesting stats out there. There's one, I think, from some YouGov data, about 44% of consumers want to buy from businesses that have... Um, that are ethically in terms of their social initiatives, in terms of their environmental initiatives, that they're ingrained in their business. And mm -hmm. so it's not a conversation or a nice to have anymore. It's if you don't do these things and change, fundamentally change in many cases your business model, and there's plenty of examples of that. Um, you know, you think of um, Patagonia, as an, that's a really obvious example. And and a common one that yeah. people bring up. but it. It exists at the very core of the business's philosophy yeah. and approach to business, doesn't it? It does. And so that's that's an easier thing for people to grapple with because yeah. these are these new businesses that are born out of this purpose-led philosophy. Yeah. But then there's businesses that have been in the um, industry for years. One, one example, I mean, IKEA is doing a lot in this space too. I mean, it really is challenging consumerism. And, and the very nature of capitalism in creating a demand for recycled or circular or a more circular mm. economy. And so it's kind of at odds with with making more money, making more stuff, selling more stuff, getting people to buy more stuff. So it's actually challenging marketing more broadly. But, I, I you know, I think brands need to think about some of those bigger, bigger, bigger business transformation um, opportunities because if they don't, they won't exist. And do you think that's possibly why a lot of people in marketing struggle yeah. with the idea? Like 
at a personal level, they want to be sustainable. They want to work for a company that's committed to sustainability. But when it actually comes to changing the way they think about their business, because marketing does drive consumption, they're suddenly conflicted in a way that they can't reconcile, so they end up doing nothing. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think that really talks to the importance of your sustainability strategy being embedded in your business strategy. Mm. Because if it is, the marketing piece is a flow-on effect from that. So if you're fundamentally changing the way that you are creating products and services or driving demand or driving um, growth in your business and you're doing that more sustainably, then the marketing piece becomes a lot easier. Mm. Where it becomes a problem is when sustainability is given to the marketing person to be told, go and do some stuff that's sustainable or come up with a sustainability strategy. Or, or at least do something that makes us look like we're sustainable, yeah. even if we're not. That lipstick on a pig thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which the other thing is that maybe 20 years ago, maybe 50 years ago, a corporation could get away with but in the world of you know the um, the the news cycle, the the twenty four seven news cycle, social media, you know, you really can't hide anymore, can you? You can't hide behind the big corporate muscle yeah. and say, you know, well, that's not true. You know? Absolutely, and I think the the importance of all the things that we would say from a and this again is probably the difference between you know what we do in PR and comms as opposed to some of the advertising is the engagement of internal stakeholders because mm. because of things like social media for example they are the biggest advocates or biggest critics and so whether it's sustainability or any other company initiative you've got to, and we all know what it's been like to get talent over the last couple of years it's been torture and yeah. um and so keeping them is important and having a vision and a strategy that that aligns with their own personal beliefs and views is becoming more and more critical. So I think that leverage, it's not just about externally how you're coming across, but it's about your ability to attract talent, keep talent, and then use them as your biggest advocates, both internally and externally. So, yeah, I think that is where the advantages or the additional value, I suppose, of comms and where PR comes because internal communications, getting that right first is, is just so critical. You've made me realise uh, in my introduction I left out employees. Yeah. You know, employees, and I did put shareholders, but employees are such an important part of that comms mix. And you're right, you know, from an advertising perspective, paid media is usually about talking to consumers, even in a B2B world. They're consumers. Yeah. They just happen to be business people. But PR does take a much sort of 360 view of the world, doesn't it? It does, and I think that the um, the opportunity and the need to be, you know, I think what's really great about and what the the introduction of Salter Baxter in this market has taught me, and that kind of coupling of consultancy and business consultancy with communications has taught me, and I think is just as important, you know, in terms of my MSL work, heard MSL yeah. work on the broader comms front that's not so sustainability focused is is that close link between a business strategy and comms, that authenticity, and then finding out ways that brands can leverage um, what they're doing from a business strategy perspective to be authentic in the way that they communicate. Um, and I think brands more more importantly than ever these days need to be thinking about um, what they are doing to help people. And I think we see that's why I suppose in, in challenging times, like we when we had COVID, our business grew hugely. When all of other businesses were going yeah. down and spend was being tightened because they realized that actually this is a perfect opportunity for brands to step into consumers and stakeholders to say how they could help 
in times of challenge. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting space. And, yeah, we can come at it from many different angles. Trinity P3. So before we move away from sustainability, because I think the other thing that's happened in the last 15 years is the UN Sustainability Goals. Mm. They put together those 19 goals. It included things like modern slavery was added at, at as part of that, uh, environmental sustainability, clean water, gender equality. You know, these were all things that were the UN sat and defined as the goals for a sustainable and improved world. And what we've seen over the last 10 years at least is this trickle-down effect of then it gets to government yep. that are signatories to the UN and they're then enacting legislation and policies that are now impacting on business. And so there is definitely a shift for business to embrace this. So there's a consumer-driven shift that you identified, which is people want to, to do business. They want to spend money with companies that are doing the right thing. But there's also a legislative and, and you know, government shift to support these goals, isn't there? There is, and that's probably why Europe is so far ahead of us because they were much quicker to the party in terms of creating that regulation and legislation around um, the way businesses should perform. So um, they're coming and they're going to be thick and fast. And I, I suppose our advice to the clients that we're talking to is getting quick and be prepared mm. because uh, there's no point in scrambling. And almost if you're waiting for the, that regulation to come down, which is imminent in, in many different forms, um, you're going to miss the boat a little bit. The other problem I see for organisations that wait or uh, is that they end up responding or reacting rather than doing what you were suggesting, which is taking a strategic approach. Yeah. Okay, what's the implication? And even in the advertising industry, you know, everyone was a year ago was talking about diversity, equity, inclusion as the good thing to do. But... Only a few companies were starting to reframe that as the what was the positive for their business, which is diversity and inclusion actually drives creativity and innovation. Mm -hmm. And yet that is a more sustainable reason for embracing DE&I other than just doing the right thing, isn't it? Well, the reality is that being more sustainable makes good business sense. And that's what we're, that's what the challenge is or the tension is I think now we're talking to companies is they don't quite get it. No. Some do. Some could Well, totally most think do. it's a tax. Yeah. Oh, I've got to pay more yeah. to be sustainable. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is that if they don't fundamentally change the way that they do business over time, mm. they won't be in, in existence in five years, ten years' time because they will become irrelevant and people, consumer, as I said, consumer expectations are already changing. They just won't be. They're just, it's, an actual, it's actually a question of their business being sustainable if they choose not to be sustainable, mm. <laughs> which is, yeah, it sounds really complicated. But, yeah, I think it's a real it's a real challenge for businesses because it may may present some big innovative thinking, but, yeah, the risk is that they, um, they won't be able to keep up with what consumers' expectations are and therefore become irrelevant. Now, PR is an interesting definition because it's such, it, it's quite broad, isn't it? You know, it is. everything from corporate comms and corporate strategy through to you know promotions and and uh, you know media uh, media relations and things like that. Do you think uh, so? Heard MSL? 
is that how do you, how would you say to someone? Is it a full breadth uh, PR operation? Yeah, we are a full service agency. Yeah, um, we look after everything from cons- you know from an audience perspective, from consumer and brand work, yeah. right through to more B two B and corporate work. Um, a lot of our clients sit in the middle, corpsumer, which the combination of having those quite deep specialized skills really helps because if you're a brand. You know, most brands actually, there is some, you know, you, you talk to consumers because that's who buy your products, but also there is a corporate piece that also talks to the consumers but other stakeholders, whether that be, you know, regulators, um, industry, government, etc. So, yeah, we're full service and everything from, you know, the term public relations to some means media relations. Mm. Uh, the media landscape is shrinking it has been for as long as I've been in this industry, which is over 20 years, I've heard this, oh, the media landscape is shrinking. And that is true. And, it, and I think that the skill to be able to just to, to distill a message uh, is more important than ever. But I actually think that the, the true art in terms of um, PR and comms is around, is around making that really complex message really simple. But also the difference, I suppose, between PR and some of those other disciplines is making sure that you've got the authenticity and the proof points to be able to back up what you're, that narrative that you're telling in whatever way that is. So whether it's writing a speech for a CEO, you know, from a corporate commerce perspective, whether it is um, working with an, a CEO to have a one-on-one conversation with a, you know, tier one daily, for example, um, it could be, you know, working with them on their opinion pieces for LinkedIn. It could be a whole combination yeah. of things. So, Sky, uh, from my experience, that's actually, you know, that breadth of, of service, that breadth of expertise actually has some tensions in it. Now, let me explain. I had a conversation with a head of comms and I was talking about why can't they align with marketing and, they, you know, because they were actually almost talking at odds. The message at the corporate level and the marketing level were polar opposites. And they said, Darren, you've got to understand, you know, marketing's all about new and different and it comes high risk. You know, at corporate comms, our job is to keep things stable and settled and make sure everyone feels more comfortable, you know. And, and that was their perspective, that, that the two parts had very different objectives that their role in corporate comms is to make sure shareholders and investors and, and government were, or, you know, nothing to look at here, whereas they saw marketing as sort of, you know, drawing attention to themselves and that that was a natural risk. Is that I, something, is that an, is an exaggeration or do you think that's a tension that does exist for a lot of organisations? I think it can be a tension, but to be honest, it's even a tension for us in working with clients as an agency. Sometimes you've got to be a bit challenging and some and people, if it works from a, a brand's purpose perspective and their brand identity perspective, then that's probably the right thing to do. Um, but I think, you know, so our job sometimes is to keep journal, uh, to keep our clients out of the media as much as it, is, as it is get them in there. So we've had plenty of issues and crisis to manage for multiple brands that we look after over the years. And our job literally is how do you get them out of that conversation or how do you put a lid on that as much as possible or make them coming out better than everyone else that's caught up in that conversation. So there's always that tension. And I think that, you know, good comms people understand the risks 
um, and be able to advise their clients on whether those risks are worth taking. The irony is, of course, that it looks like Oscar Wilde was right when he said (laughs) the only thing worse than people talking about you is not talking about you. And when we've seen um, brands that have done huge faux pas, whether it's Volkswagen getting caught out on their uh, diesel emissions or or uh, any of the number of brands, uh, you know, um, designer brands that have made big faux pas, in actual fact, handling it the right way, not trying to um, stifle it, but handling it the right way has been a huge boon. Absolutely. And I think there's two two ways that you can do that. One of them is, to, you know, you get lemons, you make lemonade. So sometimes turning those big disasters, there are really clever communications ways to turn them into perhaps, you know, to be seen as a brand to be much more approachable for people. Actually, you can get it wrong too, you know. But another, it also goes back to my previous point about the importance of perhaps and the advantage, I think, of some communications people, which is being really clear on what that business strategy is because um, if you have, if you are clear on that, you'll make much better, you'll give much better advice in terms Mm -hmm. of what to do and what not to do from a communications point of view because you do need to understand those risks uh, and that point too, I mentioned earlier around authenticity. So sometimes yeah. that that can be the tension in terms of marketing. It's um, you know a lot of big promises to make people you know to to gain that to attention. To get attention, yeah. Yeah, and that that. You but know, you then don't deliver. Correct, and that's that's always a, a problem. So that's great because you know my personal interpretation of the or definition of authenticity is being your word. Mm-hmm. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Yep. No matter what, right? And yet authenticity gets all sorts of bastardizations of, you know, talking in an honest way. Well, that's being your word, you know, just do what you say you're going to do. I think that that word do is really important now from a comms perspective. So it's no longer enough to say. You actually that's have right. to do. So, And that comes when we've been working um, with clients on a whole host of um, different pieces of work and, you know, it's about putting your... It is about thinking about what you're going to offer. For example, if you're a bank that's trying to help financial abuse, for example, of females and trying to get them out of that situation. Domestic violence. Correct. And And we do a lot of work in this space um, with one of our clients. But you can't just say that that's what you're going to do. You're going to throw money at the problem. You've got to make it happen because the first first thing is the media will pick up a story about a woman that has no resources because the bank didn't come to the party. Yeah, and that goes right back to, your again, your business strategy in terms of what products and services are you doing to help that particular cohort of people that you so claim that you, you're there to help. So, yeah, action's really important too, I think, when it comes to comms. So don't just talk the talk, actually walk, walk the, the walk. walk. Absolutely. Trinity P3. Look, it's interesting. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but the backlash on Pride, supporting Pride, yep. you know, the, the number of uh, uh, people that have said to me, you know, I'm not gay for one week or one month of the year. I'm actually gay 365 days of the year. So why do you only put the, uh, your support up for that one week? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of that jumping on the bandwagon. And there's plenty of people too that you've, we've got to understand that when you are doing something in support of a minority or the yes, no vote, for example, that you might be speaking for a large portion of your employees or your customers, but you also potentially could be alienating the same amount or more 
or even a very important. So there's lots of conversations or questions for brands to ask themselves when they're making, you know, out there um, statements about their political beliefs. Yeah, I, I, um, I've always uh, followed the philosophy though that uh, it's very hard to have a hundred percent of people. 100% support you. Far better to, you know, pick a divisive subject and make a stand on it as long as the numbers pretty much stack up 50-50. And I would say as long as it aligns with your your values. brand and your person and yeah. your purpose and your values. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's all going to be in a line because people are going to want to work for a business that they support the purpose and the values for. So standing for certain things that are aligned with those makes sense. It is increasingly different difficult because so many issues have become, you know, uh, uh, polar opposites. Mm. You know, you're Mm. either yes or no for the vote. You know, you're either a climate denier, luckily in very small numbers, or you're you're um, pro-climate change, you know, um, climate uh, addressing the climate issue. It must be hard for organisations because what happens if your organisation isn't neatly one way or the other? Yeah, I think you've got to ask yourself whether you do take a position on that. Because sometimes it's okay not to have a position. I think so. But, again, I think that if you're really clear on your value and purpose, it probably should be quite obvious mm. what your, your potential position should be. Maybe not always. Um, but if you are around inclusivity, for example, or, and that could be part of your values and your purpose or to give access to everybody for a particular product or service or depending on what that is, then you might want to, you know, something like, you know, supporting the LGBT community seems re- a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of nuances in the yes-no conversation, so that makes it a little bit um, more difficult, I think. Um, well, because it's not a simple yes-no. No. Yeah, on the no side, there's actually multiple streams, and on the yes side, it's probably more unified, but, you know, it's not just yes or no. Yeah, so I think that that's a, that's a trickier one. But mm. it's, it's very interesting, and it's something that we would have... Again, it's something that um, has changed, I think, over probably the last 10 years in terms of our expectations on brands to even have a point of view as a as if they're a person, <laughs> that they should have a, a an ethical, um, philosophical point of view on all of life's issues and they've got all the answers. So there's a huge responsibility on business leaders, I yeah. think. It's also interesting the rise of the personality CEO, mm. you know, that the, the role of leadership has now increasingly become important where a CEO, for instance, or a chair of a board is making a stand on something. Yeah, and I think... Because um, they become a spokesperson for the company. They do, and I think there's pros and cons of that, right? And I think, again, it's got to come down to authenticity. Some people are naturally that way where they want to voice their opinion and it works and others aren't and I think you've got to be tr- you've got to stay true to that. And, look, we work with some brands where that's really the promotion of individuals for that brand is really celebrated and others where they think, you know, what actually we are bigger than a person because then what happens when that person leaves? Does that, mm. Where does that leave the brand? Well, just as um, uh, the example everyone uses of that is um, Richard Branson, you know, but he's also the founder. Yeah. I think a much more interesting one is Alan Joyce, the, the um, departed uh, CEO of Qantas, because Qantas wasn't founded by him, but he's definitely made a very strong uh, personal position in that role for many years. And a very good example, I think, of probably one of the leaders, I would say, in this country of taking a stance on things that perhaps aren't necessarily directly related to his business. So I think he was very vocal around the... 
uh, marriage equality vote back when that was, you know, being discussed, it feels like forever ago, thank goodness, uh, in the sense that we've come so much further since then. But um, An Indigenous uh, uh, yeah. uh, equality and, yeah. and a lot of issues. Yeah, and I think that comes from, you know, that comes from a brand and his own personal perspectives and the culture that he's really fostered within that uh, business for And the employees. Years. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. very strong uh, employee culture as well. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting example. Trinity P3. Why is it, do you think, that advertising agencies are inclined to think of PR as an afterthought? <laughs> I don't think they really understand what we do. Okay. I actually don't think they understand the and, and present, uh, you know, we're here at Publicist Group, oh, so course, present company accepted. They understand course. absolutely the value of PR. They do. They do. Yeah. I, you know, and I still, I, I'm all as a leader of the, our PR business within Publicist Group. I think I'm always constantly educating because, I, you know, there's, as we've talked about, the gamut in which we cover yeah. is pretty broad. And I think that often what happens, and we see it time and time again, that, um, you know, brands come up with a campaign and then they come up with a creative and then they have, you know, all of the, it's almost like it's already laid out and then they hand it over to a PR agency and say, okay, PR this. Yes. And they haven't thought about the earned capability or all of the other things that could have been contemplated at a really strategic level up front. And so, look, I think we've always, we're always learning about how best to do that. So when we're talking to clients that actually want a integrated campaign across creative media and earned, um, I think having all of those different leaders in a room from the get-go to work out where everyone's role is and what makes sense for that particular brief is really critical. I've got a, a, a very specific question, and that is, do you find in PR you're more likely to talk about brand or reputation or both? Are the two interchangeable from a PR perspective? No, I would say they're not interchangeable. Okay. Um, well, let me think about that, actually, because I think that um, reputation is more than brand. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back, I think, to actions, but it also comes back to, and the problem that we have is there's much easier metrics to measure how a brand is performed. The challenge, the perennial challenge for me as a leader of a PR and comms agency is how do we measure reputation? And it's much more intangible. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's a real problem. It's really pro- a problem for us in terms of how we commercially charge for what we offer. Because, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not, you can't touch it and feel it. Brand, to me, there's brand metrics and there's certain things that can be done. Reputation, I find, is a lot more furry. Because a lot of conversations I have with business people, they actually struggle with the concept of brand, but they get business reputation and they get goodwill, which sits on the balance sheet, right? But brand value we're still struggling to get a methodology to put the value of the brand on the balance sheet. And and that's why I raised the question because I find, for me, brand increasingly is a situation where the company that owns the brand does not share the same name as the product brand or the service brand. But I would say for the average consumer, if the brand and the company name are exactly the same, 
then they would think reputation and brand are interchangeable. Because what they think about Disney and what they think about Disney movies would be inextricably linked. They wouldn't be thinking about the Disney brand because the company is exactly the same name. It's a, ch- it's a really tough question, actually, and I suppose you're right in terms of goodwill, but I that's also part of the, that's a very simplistic way also to look after, to to measure a brand's reputation. Mm. So, yeah, I, we haven't solved it, and it's definitely a... It's a challenge. If I can, I'll be a millionaire, so leave it with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I just find so often we have these conversations, particularly in marketing and advertising around brand and brand values and brand metrics and but they're not necessarily uh, terms or concepts that resonate at a business level. And I think it's one of the things, if we could find some way of getting at least a model that links those together, then it would open up the idea of brand and, and, and the relationship between the two. Yeah, I think they, they are absolutely intrinsically linked. For me, I suppose the big differentiator is brand for me could be about recognition or recollection, mm-hmm. whereas reputation is a feeling. Whereas I don't know whether it, that's just probably how I, I'm mm. oversimplifying it in my own brain. No, no. I, I, look, I just raised it because yeah. as we were talking, I thought, you know, this is really interesting because, you know, the things that you were saying about, you know, helping uh, the role of PR and comms to actually change the way people think and feel about a, a, a business or a brand seems to be the same thing that we're trying to do in advertising. Yep. Yeah. They, they, they're working to the same goal but have two totally different ways of talking about them. Yeah, they do. They totally do. And in some ways, you know, if we get corporate comms and marketing actually aligned, I know they have different, you know, to my example of the comms director saying we're trying to make everyone feel calm and, and, and secure, well, you know, maybe the two can work hand in hand. You yeah. would hope so. I think in an ideal world and the, the ability to do the best work is when they do. Well, I think you had the solution there, which is both of them should be aligned to the business strategy. Yeah. You know, that that there is only one business strategy. It's how you interpret that for the various objectives that you're trying to meet. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it does come, it comes back to that um, authenticity and the action of those brands, which affect both the brand and the reputation. Yeah. I, uh, look, it's interesting um, from a personal perspective. I notice I get most angry and most disappointed in the brands and businesses that I have the most emotional commitment to when they let me down. Yeah, because you're invested. Yeah, but yeah. They, they, they've made this promise to me and yeah. I expect them to be a certain way and when they, let, they don't live up to that expectation, I get so frustrated. Yeah, and for many consumers it. we experienced that, didn't we, with the data breaches of recent yeah. times of, you know, um, and that's that. That's the kind of stuff that really affects both the brand and the reputation because people expect you to keep your data and your identity sacred. And mm. so things like that are, yeah, of course, going to have massive, massive problems. And that's I think there's I think there's a big responsibility on people who are looking after the corporate comms. And I think a lot of things that are really important to a business, whether that be sustainability, whether that be, you know, security falls on the shoulders and the responsibility often of corporate affairs or comms people. And mm-hmm. so I think that the role can't be under 
underestimated because I think that, and I think marketing perhaps could do a better job generally of supporting mm. that. Be aligned. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's interesting. We've also had the rise in the last 20 years of the mum and dad investor. Yeah. So when Telstra floated back last century, you know, how could the mum and dad investor that have Tel- Telstra shares see that as anything different to the Telstra brand that's marketing and selling products to them? Yeah. The two become, from a consumer point of view, become inextricably linked. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting concept. Very interesting. Sky, it's been fantastic having this conversation with you. I've really enjoyed, well, first of all, your uh, passion, but also your um, professionalism and, you know, the perspective that you bring to it. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Darren. It was good fun. I have got a question before you go, and that is, of all of the brands or businesses that you regularly interact with, which is the one that you trust the most? Thank you.